Hello and a warm welcome to you wherever you are. You're listening to the Ace Podcast with me, Pete Perfides. And uh, today I'm joined by two gentlemen who next year will be celebrating three decades as recording artists, um, having both formed bands that released their debut singles in 1990. They have other things in common too. They're both avid record collectors. They've both run their own labels. They've both written well-received books. Uh, but perhaps the base similarity they share is that they're both enthusiasts. And it's uh, that absence of cynicism that runs through every project to which they put their name. So it's perhaps no surprise that they should have finally got, al- got around to collaborating on an Ace release. Here to talk about Tim Peake's Songs for a Late Night Diner, among other stuff. It's Tim Burgess out of The Charlatans and Bob Stanley out of St Etienne. Hi guys. Hi Pete. Hi Pete. How are you? You all right? Yeah. You've both come a long way actually to be here. Both, you've come a long way in all sorts of both historically, <laughs> but more prosaically, you came yeah. a long way to be here today. Tim, yes. you're out east these days, aren't you? I am, yeah, in the woods. In the woods? In the what, woods. Near really? There. What can you see from your bedroom window? Uh, yeah, pigeons normally and trees and fields and oh, right, yeah, that, it's, it's yeah. kind of yeah. it's quite interesting but kind of sometimes not as well really do you yearn for the big city i've been known to sort of you know moan about it a bit <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard you <laughs> it's like yeah i need to be with people but <laughs> that's my moan that's your moan okay so you're so you're so you're down the family way at the moment. You're sort of you live you're in a domestic sort of yeah yeah. Got a six-year-old little boy who's in school. So it's kind of yeah. I mean, even if I wanted to, it'd be hard to move. So okay. but I, I'm enjoying it. I like the company really. And the, the here's, here's something before uh, I need to. Uh, do, uh, I was quite surprised when I saw you because you've you reverted to dark hair. Yes. And so, first of all, is there a sort of significance, or did you just fancy? Yeah, uh, just just going for a change, really. Uh, you know, kind of like got new things happening, and and your son, but your son would have never seen a non-blonde. <clears throat> Yellow, he, he thinks my hair, natural <laughs> hair color is. Yellow, is yeah. it? So what did he do when he saw saw you? He said, um, "You've got hair like me now." And that was that. That was that, and then he carried on playing Lego. It's great the way kids do that, isn't it? Kind of <laughs> okay, that's done. That's on to the next thing. Yeah. And uh, so you, 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 and you, Bob, you divide your time between two places. You're in, you've, so you're in Saltaire a lot of the time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in West Yorkshire, um, most of the time again because we've got a three-year-old and he's at nursery school at the moment, but he's starting primary school next year. So um, we're up there most of the time now. Um, Let's go. Let's backtrack to when you f- first met. It's actually in the liner notes to this compilation. You first, you first. I couldn't tell though if you did. You actually your first meeting? Did it sort of predate your musical sort of proclivities? Tell us what happened for people who don't know what happened. I was I was writing for. I think I've got this right. I was writing a piece for Melody Maker, yeah. wasn't I? And yeah. um, interviewed Tim. Um, and uh, Tim Tim wanted to meet at um, Whitton Albion Football Ground. Uh, not when it was a match on, <laughs> so we were sort of like talking over a, a you know, a buzzing crowd of 250 or whatever. Um, it was uh, em- on an empty terrace at Whitton Albion, which was, you know, it was great for photos as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, so I, I think in the sleeve night, I just say we met at Whitton Albion Football Ground, but didn't explain that it what, wasn't um, by chance. What league were Whitton Albion in? Um, well, it was non-league, but maybe non-league 
two. Was yeah, it? I think I think there might have been a conference at conference, that point. Yeah, there were, yeah, maybe, briefly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, one step outside the league. And can you remember that? Can you remember why you specified that location? Yeah, because um, I wanted um, to do the interview in Northwich, which was, I mean, you know, Manchester was like the the place to be. And I wanted to show that uh, stuff went on on the outskirts. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and um, Witten were uh, one of two football teams <laughs> in a very small town, uh, which is kind of bizarre. So it's like the, the lesser known football team. The other being Northwich Victoria, presumably? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. I, I don't know whether it is now, but it wasn't. It seemed like it was at the time. I'll say it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely interested. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a new, it's unusual as a young musician to have that kind of attention to detail. I think that's you know that's very that's it's that attention to detail I think that makes it interesting. Okay. And um, so would this have been when sort of around the release of Indian Rope, presumably the first Charleston single? It was yeah. It was the year before. Um, because Indian Rock came out in January '90, so mm. it would have been. I mean, kind of pretty much after we uh, six months after we formed, probably, mm. or um, so November ish. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely. Yeah, it was coming into winter, and I, yeah. I had a tape yeah. which just said Charleson's demo on it. I remember oh, well, I've well, still well, got well. it. Right. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I had to go on. It had Indian yeah. Rope on on the on the tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting time, isn't it? That time because you, in both of your respective. Uh, bands, you would have been sort of uh, late participants in something that you would have been enjoying as as fans. I know yeah. Tim, you were sort of a, a regular attender of the Hacienda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting, sort of both of your debut singles with say Etienne and the Charlatans. Yeah. Sort of, you know, a bit. I mean, to be honest, I don't think this would have applied to you because they were such both such brilliant debuts, but. You know, the door would have been starting to close on that scene. It's got kind of a last orders in a way on that scene. Um, but suddenly, you were sort of that that moment that moment when you met was that point of that where you were kind of participants. That's one door shots. Also, I mean, we we hadn't recorded. We recorded "Only Love Can Break Your Heart" in January '90, so we hadn't done anything at that point. I think we, yeah, might have possibly book the studio right. but um no end anything then so um but it was you know that 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 whole scene and like you know like him the charlatans did their own take on it um and thinking you know there are possibilities you know that go beyond just doing a record that sounds like stone roses um with samples as well um was that was definitely what inspired us to go into the studio and try try something you know yeah. obviously there was no band as such then it was just me and Pete, and we hadn't met Sarah, so um, it was just just on the cusp of that, yeah. But yeah. before we'd actually recorded anything. And uh, I want to kind of focus sort of briefly on the sort of that sort of the the whole hacienda thing, which was yeah. you know the hacienda sort of changed your life, really, didn't it, Tim, in a way? Yeah, um, yeah, it, it did. Um, I mean, just kind of when uh, I mean, there's like indie nights, and then there's like to see bands there as well. Um, I'm seeing New Order there quite a lot, and what, what would have been the first time? Maybe '86, probably. Oh, okay. See, see New Order, and then um, yeah, '86, and then 
definitely saw him a few more times after that. And uh, was it the hacienda that you sort of walked seventeen miles back to your house? Well, yeah. Um, we, we'd normally go to places after, and then it would be like four in the morning, um, or five in the morning, and then obviously there's no trains, <laughs> so we'd walk towards Altrincham, and then you know hopefully get a train. It'd be you know because. Yeah, trains wouldn't start running on a Sunday until kind of, yeah. you know, 11-ish or something like that. <laughs> so so we, we'd think if we get to Altrincham by 11, we'll get a train to Northwich back. But sometimes we were just so, you know, bu- you know buzzing from the comp- talking about records or, yeah. what, you know, what we were into. or We'd just carry on. Yeah. And, and then you, what, you'd, you'd sort of have no money left and you'd sort of, the, your connections would have gone and... You walk out. Well, it, I, I, well, we'd we'd go to parties in in, in in Manchester and then start walking because you know we'd have to get back and <laughs> at some point. But there was no real rush to get home or anything no, like that. No, so. Fair enough. <laughs> and there is a, yeah, the reason I kind of want to focus is because there's a lot of sort of factory, um, sort of great kind of like underrated factory tracks on this record. Before we before we go into that detail, what would that scene have meant to you as a sort of teenager, Bob? Um, well, I was fascinated by um, Factory, uh, the, the you know the look of the records and the sound of them, uh, and the fact it was called Factory was <laughs> this is a really good name. I knew, I knew nothing about where it got its name from. It's obviously yeah. Andy Warhol. I, I just thought of uh, cotton mills and uh, and you know I had this like romantic notion of the North. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of obsessed with Factory and. and Zoo and Inevitable in Liverpool, um, and Postcard obviously in Glasgow as well. Um, there was like nothing, you know, it felt like there wasn't really anything comparable in London. I think Rough Trade and sort of post punk was just kind of finishing, so I was just like, slightly too late to get into any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, Factory for me, uh, you know, I loved Martin Hannett's productions, mm. um, which have been a you know, big influence on what we've done since, really. Um, so just trying, yeah, and trying. The artwork was always incredible. Some Peter Savile artwork was always great. So Indeed. yeah, it's, um, I was fairly obsessed. <laughs> Indie labels had such sort of strong identities uh, at the time. I mean, incredibly strong identities, really. Which you know, you could almost infer uh, an entire aesthetic just from looking at the the font and the the artwork and you know the mm. use of colours. Um, with a fa- factory was. Um, it was definitely a sort of case in point. There's a few, before we go on to the sort of conceit of this record, which I think is fascinating in itself, I just wanted to sort of touch on a couple of the, you know, these, uh, you know, we all know about sort of, you know, New Order and sort of Happy Mondays, Dread Division, etc. Um, but like a group, like, it's great to see the Stockholm Monsters on here. What do we know about the Stockholm Monsters? Um... I think Hooky was quite involved with them as a producer. Um, they, they opened for New Order quite a few times. Um, uh, Fairy Tales is like a genius track, uh, as is Miss Moonlight, in my opinion, as well. Um, and one of the members does the sound for the Chemical Brothers. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Sean. So this is a, de- this is a demo that we've got on... on um which I'd never heard before. No. How did it come to your attention? Through Bob. Yeah, I think <laughs> I found it um, on, a, on a on a Stockholm Monsters compilation, or right. a, um, there's a label called um, LTM, I think, uh, 
who are, who are based in Norfolk. Yeah, they are. Yeah, um, James Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's just like uh, put out every factory conceivable factory obscurity um, and dug out all these demos and um, but he d- he does he does CDs basically right. he doesn't do vinyl so um, uh, at least I don't think he does um, so it's this will be the first time that's come out on vinyl I thought you know the the, sing- the single nice. is, is amazing yeah. um, but the demo is something that is more obscure so it just felt like it's more interesting to include that the first song I heard by them which is I got on a 12 inch was a uh a song called How Corrupt is Rough Trade, <laughs> which seemed like a scandalous thing to call a record. And obviously it was an intriguing thing to call a song. Yeah. Because what happened? What, you know, and I still don't, you know. And it's, it's, a, it's got a question mark on the cover, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the lyrics are very indistinct, so you don't really, you, know, you sort of like, <laughs> I remember buying it as a teenager and trying to sort of it. What did Rough Trade do to them? And surely you can't get... You know, a rough trade seemed like a nice, you know, they still seemed like a really nice label to me, you know. <laughs> and you never got to the bottom of it. No. Uh, rough Trades actually had like several songs written about it, which is incredible. It's the Smiths one, isn't it? That's true, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure The Fall have written a song about Rough Trade at some point. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I remember. Also, like, like Rough Trade and Motown, you know. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I remember. Um, we're, um, I remember ro- ro- when I interviewed Roddy Frame, Roddy saying something quite sort of. Uh, Relay, relaying that he'd said something quite catty about them when he was sort of starting to get a bit disillusioned by the lack of ambition that at the time he perceived they had for Aztec Camera. And and Jeff Travis apparently said something, look, you know, we're not in the business of signing pop stars. And he said, and he said uh, or making hit single, single, something like that. And he said, and he said yeah, I've noticed. And, uh, <laughs> Because Roddy, obviously Roddy was a punk, so you know he had that slightly iconoclastic sort yeah. of um, anti-hippie thing, which I think he sort of, I think some people saw Jeff as a sort of slight throwback to that earlier. I mean, it probably was a, you know, yeah. I don't mean this in a pejorative. No, no, sense, no. I think that'd be a fair, fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about. I did. There's a band I don't know too much about that were on Factory, but I, 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 I love the track that you put on here. Uh, the raw fam- the the raw family and the poor. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that track. That's one of one of yours, isn't it? Which one is it? Uh, Lost in a moment. Is it yeah, uh, I love you. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw them open for New Order and um, wanted to know more about them. And um, there was a record that was always in the racks, and I never bought it you know um but it was kind of um until one day i did and it was it was a uh, fact 24 and it had royal family in the poor on uh Jorty column i think john Dowie, and it's like you know so it's one of the first compilation albums and um um each artist had a side for, you know for them and yeah. royal, royal family in the poor it's just amazing there and Right now, I, I don't know. I feel under pressure. I can't remember a, a single track feel that's on it. Pressure. But yeah. it, it was, it was, um, it, it, the whole, the whole side is totally amazing. Yeah. Martin Hannett production. Um, I tried to find out as much as I could about Mike Keane, uh, who's the who was Royal Family in the Poor, and it was like uh, it was uh, from Liverpool, and um, you know, apparently a, 
a sort of maniac in the studio and I just thought, and I just thought this guy like, sounds like an amazing guy and, yeah, and I just yeah. wanted to know as much about him as I could and the album Phase One that I Love You is from um, is, is, is an amazing record Bob and I were Bob and I drove sort of here in the, in the same car we were talking about whether or not the Royal Family and the Poor is a good name for a, for a group and uh, and I remember uh, you know I was just saying that when I was in my mid-teens I would have probably thought that was a very cool name yeah. for a group because <laughs> the Queen is Dead had just come out right right but you're a bit older than me so even at the time you sort of say you weren't really sure that you liked it all that much as a no I think but I mean you know early factory I thought Crispy Ambulance was a, was was fine. At the time, yeah, you know, yeah. Like I, I love Crispy Ambulance. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Do you like the name? Well, yeah. I mean, they kind of set themselves up to be ridiculed. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, quite an odd thing to do when you're naming your group. True. Yeah. <laughs> because they were, yeah, they were really good. I, I love that album and and the singles. You know, everything I've heard by them, I, I really like. Them. I saw saw them live with uh, Section Twenty Five at the venue in Victoria once, and uh, that was that was great. Yeah. Wow. But I think they, they mostly remember now because of um, I forgot the singer's name, but he Alan Hampson. Yeah, because he subbed for Ian Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show Joy Division show once, and and people went mad because it wasn't really Joy Division, I suppose. Oh wow! Um, that's what I saw. Death Factory was the name of the song, which was um, yeah, it's also a Throb and Gristle title as well. But um, yeah. that's on the okay. Fact Twenty Four. Are you talking about? Uh, you mentioned this sort of release that had um, a, si a side devoted to each artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That reminds me actually that the chill. My first encounter with the chills was something similar. Where there was an early, you might know it, an early uh, release on Flying Nun called the Dunedin EP, no, which no, wasn't really an EP. It was, or at least if it was, it was a quadruple EP because it was um, four sides each with three songs and each side was a different band wow. the chills that was yeah, my first yeah, encounter yeah. with the chills fly none is also a label that's got an amazing identity and yeah. there's a chills track on this album who's uh who, who selected that one tell me a bit about that um i, I chose that one but you're a fan as well aren't yeah you? which track was it um house with a hundred rooms yeah yeah um which is um yeah, it's just very, it's very sort of kind of low key um, production, and it's got that thing that flying that I really like about flying. That sounds quite um, windswept. That sounds terrible. It's got awful cliches to make music sound like that. But it's um, that kind of um, it's kind of sort of like there's no sort of dramatic chord changes, but it just no, sounds, no. it sounds like I imagined what New Zealand would sound like. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'd, because so many of the Flying Nun groups had that, had a similar feel, yeah, whether true. it was like straight jacket fits or more rocky, but you know, they, they all kind of had a, there was a different common, commonality. Yeah. In some, them. in some instances, a bit kind of frostbitten, a little mm. bit, um, sort of, um, Spartan, um, yeah. And like they were almost playing to keep warm or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Definitely. Uh, and uh, playing yeah. so quite fast to keep warm. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. And both the Chills <laughs> and another group on that label I really loved called Sneaky Feelings mm. had that thing of just you know mm. you don't they don't you you rarely change do a chord change more frequently than a bar like the, the end of a bar. So it's just it's all sort of. Uh, you know, fairly sort of stripped back. But mm. Martin Phillips has got this um, lovely sort of, 
you know, they're such hard-like, actually, those early sort of children. Like, yeah. he's, he's, he sounds like an adorable child, doesn't he? Like mm. a serious, adorable child. And uh, that kind of comes through. It's weird that there's this commonality that exists between a label like Flying Nun, I think, and sort of Factory, because in it, they're both sort of... Uh, they both they're both suggestive that they come from places where that aren't really the, like you know where it's all happening yeah, in yeah, a way yeah. in that they're kind of untouched in a way and so that that kind of fits the conceit of this album which i will now let you explain to me <laughs> well um me and tim are both big fans of david lynch and uh, twin peaks in particular and um I, I've I've always had this. I, I, I still do. <clears throat> if I'm driving around, I'll sort of like think think of things that look like British Twin Peaks. <laughs> you just go past like a, an old shed or a petrol station, so British Twin Peaks. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really this is kind of if Twin Peaks was set in Britain, what what would the soundtrack be rather yeah. than? Um, um, Angela. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rather than Angela Badlamanti. Um, uh, and you know people like the chromatics turning yeah. up you know who who would it be so that's that is the that's the idea behind the compilation so but obviously the title comes from tim's tim's cafe as well right okay so was that the, <laughs> was that the did it start with a blank page and that title and then you kind of everything kind of gradually sort of followed from there i think i think i think so yeah mm. yeah it did. which is I a mean, good way to make a record yeah isn't it i mean None of the bands that are on this compilation have played at Tim Peaks, but the title is, you know, it, it's handed to Bob. Mm. And uh, I, I, I do that as well when I drive through Norfolk and I sort of like see the big, you know, the big trees and I think, <laughs> British, British Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you, there's a, a soundtrack for a mythical cafe, uh, so a mythical cafe in a mythical north. <laughs> uh, so not everything here needs to have been released by Factory originated. No. So it is a sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of, a, it's an atmosphere, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. And once you got the atmosphere down, then it must have been quite fun to sort of select the bands and songs that kind of fitted in with it. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, we just best ideas back and forwards on emails, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was good fun. Well, that's right. Did you discover? Anything did did one of you sort of turn the other onto anything that sort of blew, that you didn't know about or that sort of blew you away? I think there's a couple, wasn't there? There's yeah. A, uh, was it um, after Blue Orchids? There was a there's a, a other oh, fates. Yeah, the, the, the fates that I've not heard. Right. Okay. Um, and I, I just love the name as well. It's yeah. Such a, it's such an amazing name. Mm. That's a uh, Una Baines group after uh, having been in the fall and then oh, Blue really? Orchids. Um, and I don't remember it at all from the time. I think it's from about '83, um, but it got reissued. Andy Votel's label reissued oh, it nice. um, a few years ago, and that's when I first came across it. But I absolutely do not remember. It kind of got any press at the time. Um, I don't even remember seeing the sleeve or anything. But it's um, it's a great album, and it's um, it's kind of closer to a bit closer to like, the Raincoats or something, I suppose, yeah. than, than the Blue Orchids. Um, but it's um, it's quite witchy. And, yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah, it? yeah. It's um, but she's still doing stuff as well. It's like um, she's someone I'd love to meet and interview because absolutely, um, yeah, her, you know, she's still got, you know still doing stuff and where's she based now? Still, still somewhere in Lancashire, right. but, um, 
because yeah, I can't think what a new band's called, but they, they just do shows fairly locally. Right. She the, the the sound that she made, you know, with the Blue Orchids and the Fall, it's, mm. it's just one of the great sort of. I try not to use the iconic, but you know, one of those. It's <laughs> such a such an evocative, such a pins you back, and. You know, I remember my so like my my older brother bringing Blue Orchid records into the house and hearing this this noise that well, I I guess kind of did f both fed into my perceptions of this mythical North, yeah. but also yeah, it was it kind of it, it really um, and then one tr song in particular, Work. Mm -hmm. Do you know yeah, that, that, that yeah, it's great that one. Which just sounds sort of like this like a this demonic kind of it's almost like it should be on the on like the soundtrack to 1984 or something because it's just this there's not much joy and light in it do you know what i mean i always thought that was the one that um kind of got me into them really because i thought it was the most full sounding one mm. um which i don't know whether it is or, or, or not but yeah it, you know it has it, it kind of has yeah. that thing and you know i, I was the first full record I, I got was um, 77 to 79 early fall it was like an, an, an album and uh, so it was it was her period really that you know that that really got me yeah the organ and mm. still know. going by the way the blue I mean they're still making good records now yeah they, 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 I noticed um, Martin's posts on Facebook yeah they're quite he's, he's kind of like Maybe more active than he's ever been. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. He's like an album a year these days. I know they sort of knock him out. You know, <laughs> it's good to see him when he when he rejoined the fall. That was a that was a good period. I thought extricate. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, I'd forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, um, and so you've we've got all these the, these points of intersection. So we've got this kind of. Uh, I get, and I guess the I guess the point of intersection between the factory and Daruti Column, who also mm -hmm. make an appearance on here, uh, it, so that ton takes us through into these groups like Ganak, who were very kind of influenced by what Vinnie Riley did, mm -hmm. and so we've got um, they kind of they kind of make an appearance um, with the Broken Fall. Yeah. Um, really underrated band, like unbelievably underrated band, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically just one man, yeah. Mark, Mark Tramer, yeah. who's uh, was a really nice guy, um, and he was in a band called the Montgolfier Brothers as well, which is quite similar. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the Ganaka just um, came across well late nineties. Um, they used to put out seven inch singles, um, about three or four seven inch singles, which were all just really beautiful guitar instrumentals. Mm. And didn't really fit in with anything else that was going yeah, on at the yeah. time, but they're really, really lovely. And yeah, clearly quite sort of Vinnie Riley influenced. But um, mm. there's not many people who are clearly Vinnie Riley influenced. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm quite happy to hear any of them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are some, there are some artists who are brilliant, but almost everyone who's influenced by them turns out to be terrible. And <laughs> Vinnie Riley is like the opposite, actually. Almost anyone who's influenced by Vinnie Riley is usually worth hearing. You know, it's, yeah, it's quite bizarre. There's Dean uh, McPhee on there as well. I don't know. I don't know if he is Vinnie Riley influenced, but he's definitely coming from the same place. And he's like, he just he's obsessed with like effects pedals and mm. uh, just spends ages working on his stuff. And he, you know, his his albums are great. I think he's done three or four now. And he lives not far from me in Bingley. Oh wow! Um, okay. And there's a so Isan as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. that was like like late nineties, putting out seven inch singles. I remember that mm. was just like a weird 
period, sort of post Britpop, um, hmm. where you seem to get a lot of people doing you know, interesting electronica and um, atmospheric instrumentals um, on, on singles, which uh, yeah, yeah, it's a rough trade in. To what degree, Tim? What, to what degree would you have been aware of? Because I'm, I'm in the night throughout the nineties. You know, you were you were riding this sort of huge sort of commercial success, and you you were one of the few bands who who were able to sort of go from the sort of Manchester scene mm -hmm. of the late eighties and early nineties and keep it going throughout. Because a lot of bands sort of it's funny really because some bands when after Oasis came along, some bands were sort of almost rendered instantly sort of obsolete, mm -hmm. but some bands that just didn't apply to some bands and the charlatans were one band that just kind of snapped right into line with very easily with what was going on were you sort of otherwise distracted or were you did, did you were you able to keep tabs on this kind of um evolving scene yeah um probably probably but i mean i was you know definitely um sort of living off uh um you know whatever I was getting turned on to at, at the time. I mean, in the nineties, I was quite into quite a lot of American, old American stuff, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. like Grand Parsons and stuff, stuff like that. But um, and and um, getting more, I suppose, into like rock and rolly kind of things, like a classic rock, which is yeah, you know, a bit embarrassed to say that now. Well, not really. I mean, it's all you know. It's you part know. of growing, isn't it? You know, and I think you're kind of exploring more. Yeah. And uh, I suppose more commercial things, really, like you know, let's listen to the Stones, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, but you know, I've, um, I mean, you know, Jurassicolum were one of the first, you know, like serious things that I got into um, when I was 16. Um, my mum used to work in this paper shop, and and. Uh, Alan Erasmus, who was a part of Factory, used to come into my mum's shop. Oh, it wasn't my mum's shop, she just worked there. But, um, and she got talking to him and, and, and it, it, she told him that um, I was a big music fan and, and he, he gave her a, a Factory badge, like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then the next time he visited um, White Labels of uh, Confusion and, and then the first, uh, a handful of Jussie Cotton records. Mm. And, that was kind of like, just, I mean, I would never have heard of them, I don't think, you know. Well, not certainly not at that time if it wasn't for him. So how old were you? Well, that would have been 15, 15 going on to 16, I, I, I would imagine. And someone gives you a free record of that age. I know, I, I, I know, but when you take it home and, and, and it's, um, you know, the first track that you play is A Prayer by, uh, you know, and then, and uh, what was the one before that? LC, uh, that was the other, yeah, so he gave me LC and... Um, the one with a prayer on for uh, uh, another, another setting, setting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, those two on a white level of confusion, and I don't know, kind of. We like waiting in the news ages to see if he'd come back with more records. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And did he? No, uh, I can't remember. Well, it was supposed to. It was supposed to turn up for something, but he didn't. But. I forget. Him. <laughs> <laughs> um, you remembered but, after all these years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and uh, you know, I, I I collected more records and and went for maybe more commercial things, I suppose, at, at that time. But I always had majority Colin records. And yeah, and that sort of it's funny, really, because um, when I read your autobiography, uh, uh, telling, telling, telling stories, stories, yeah, telling stories. Um, 
you know, you spoke so sort of passionately about that kind of post-punk kind of factory era. Yeah. It sort of, I almost saw a different side to you, but uh, at the same oh, time, yeah. around that time, mm -hmm. I just noticed through kind of, you know, like talking to you on social media and stuff, that um, your tastes seem to, you, your tastes seem to be kind of, you seem to be reconnecting with that. Oh, the earlier, yeah, and more and more kind of in, interesting sort of avant-garde stuff. So your taste seemed to have kind of certainly from what I knew knew about you seemed yeah. to have gone a lot more left field in the last ten years. Anyway, yeah, 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 maybe, maybe, yeah, prob probably because I mean, well, I don't know exactly why, but I guess just going back to the Royal Family and, and the Poor record, you know, and sort of like saying, you know, because um, you know people. Say Nick, my partner. She's um, she's a avant-garde kind of composer, and uh, but I have to kind of like tell her about stuff that happened, mm. you know, when I was fifteen and stuff like that, and and mm. yeah, enthused about you know um, like uh, Love of Life Orchestra mm. or um, you know stuff that I heard in the kind of um, early eighties and. And and Vinnie Riley and and you know and then uh, you know one of my favourite times was introducing her to Bruce Mitchell and it was just mm. like we were just you know the real Mr Manchester and you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know and that was kind of like you know helps me to tell her more about myself. So, sounds like a good arrangement. <laughs> um, so um, what your sort of um, I keep noticing songs that, that, sort of, that we haven't spoken about. One, one song I'm very happy that is on here, actually, is a song that I remember my brother sort of playing obsessively as a teenager, which was is this Echo and the Bunnyman B-side called Fuel, mm. which is like, such a strange and evocative piece of music, isn't it? It's yeah, really I, was, I was happy for it to go on, because um, I, I know it, and I'm very fond of it as well. They were... B-sides are an interesting you know, this is especially true of both of you they're an interesting sort of way into a band aren't they and yeah. I, I would guess that both as sort of collectors you're aware of that you're aware of what the sort of import of a B-side what side of a band yeah. a, a succession of B-sides can, can reveal about them um, does that sort of feed into I'll start with you Bob first of all. does that feed into your sort of approach when you're sort of deciding what to put on a B-side. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be things that you recorded when you're making an album, which for some reason didn't fit, um, and that you know, they'll end up on a B-side. But um, so I think automatically there is going to be something that's maybe slightly odd, or mm. you know, it doesn't fit with the rest of the album. But it doesn't fit with the A-side. Mm. Uh, but you know, also there's there's definitely things where we've wanted to record B-sides. Um, <clears throat> instrumentals or B sides are a good place to put them. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, and just odd odd things that don't fit in elsewhere. But I mean, it's um, so sort of effectively they're more experimental, I suppose. Generally, yeah, than what you yeah. put on an album. How about you, Tim? My absolute favourite Saint Etienne song for for the longest time was a B side called Filthy. Oh wow! Yes. And um, I remember playing it in our studio and sort of like telling telling the band that we've got to do something like this <laughs> and did you 
I think we probably did. You know, I mean, um, I can't think. Exa- it would. I can't think exactly what it would have been, but probably something around up to our hips time. Would have, oh, right. would have, so something drummy. So why would somebody like let's take for example something like that, what what would make that a B side? I'm not sure why, as opposed to say an album track. Um, what was it even the B side of? It, it was the B side of when we reissued "Ain't Love Can Break Your Heart" because Creation right. wanted to reissue it. Hmm. Uh, so that was a fourth single. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know really. I mean, it's um, I can't remember. It's, I, hmm. <laughs> I actually can't remember it's why why. There's no reason why we shouldn't have put it on the album because we, we really liked it. And um, we, we, we played Fox Bay Sound for a couple of years ago, and uh, maybe even last year. And uh, QT, who does the rap on Filthy, um, came on stage with us, which was great. Because yeah. um, I, I don't know how she, re- I don't know if she remembered the words. <laughs> I had to like, go back to But yeah, no, she's got like a, a son now who's about 20, and he's a rapper as well. Oh, it's right, like, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a long time ago. Um, she was about sixteen, seventeen then. Um, so that, that was terrific. So it was, uh, but you know, yeah, no, I, I've always really liked it. I don't really know why. In terms of good, good B-sides, are, are, you know, are amazing things anyway. Yeah, you so, have to have them. Yeah. Would it be putting you on the spot too much to ask you, say, like your three all-time favourite B-sides? It happens. Primal Scream. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Nineteen sixty-three. New Order. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's considered a B-side, I suppose it is, isn't it? I think so, isn't yeah. it? Was it a double A? Probably a double A. Like no, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a B-side, B. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was uh, it True Faith? Is it a B-side? Yeah, 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 True Faith. Yeah, it's definitely a B-side. Um, I really like uh, Ariel Pink and uh, reminiscent, Reminiscences. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. I don't know that. It's uh, instrumental, but... Okay. And I think a cover, but it's... Uh, I think you'd like it. It's good. What's your What's your favourite? Sh- what's the best? Sh- what's the single? If you're a charlatan's B side that we should all go off and <laughs> listen to <clears throat> forthwith. Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll have a. Uh, uh, I can't remember what was on the A side. Bob, that's giving you a bit. Of, <laughs> that's giving you a bit of time to sort of mentally assemble your three all-time favourite B sides. Yeah. Oh no. Um, let me have a think. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like a B-side. I think is like it. It's an industrial byproduct, really, isn't it? A B-side because mm. it exists because seven-inch singles exist, mm. and they exist in order. They're a vehicle for a song, which you you hope will be a hit single, and so there's a spare and so the 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 b side is the byproduct of the a side it's an industrial byproduct yeah. it's a space it's a super it's not it's a problem but it's also an answer to a problem because it's an empty space yeah and the what you put on it is the answer to the problem mm. which is kind of mind-blowing in a way to sort uh, of I, lo- I love it when people say it should have been the a side and things like mm. that yeah 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 i can't remember which songs them out does that give us has my soliloquy given you a bit of time? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I do know where to start. Uh, well, Rain by the Beatles is a bit oh, of an yeah. obvious yeah, one, I exactly. suppose. You know. um, but you said it happens, which is like, you know, that's... Got, you, yeah, that's uh, yeah. an absolute 10 out of 10 B-side. And Velocity Girl was a B-side yeah. as well, oh, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Which, is, yeah. which is, you know, whoever's A&Ring Primal Screen at the time. Who could that have been? Um, 
uh, Use Me by the Teardrop Explodes. I think they were they're an amazing mm. B sides group. Um, Soon by Dexys. Oh, maybe. oh yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Good one. Yeah, I'd say Use Me is. I mean, I, I could almost all 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 my top three could be Teardrop Explodes. Yeah. Tracks. I mean, they're they they that that is a proper alternative history of the Teardrop Explodes. Their mm. B sides because you've got Christ versus Warhol. Yeah, that's great. Passionate friend, which is wow. scared the hell out of me. But the first time I heard it, I was yeah. eleven years old, uh, <laughs> maybe just twelve, just twelve, and uh, I didn't know what what the hell was going on. You know, it was it looked, it was like a kind of dispatch issued from the precipice of the abyss, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And because I didn't know what Warhol was, like I knew what Christ was, obviously, but I didn't. What what's yeah. Warhol? You know, I thought it was like a <laughs> a religion or something, you know. <laughs> and it was only like when my brother brought back the had the the Velvet Underground album yeah. a year later that I thought, oh, that's what Warhol is. You know? Wow, such a great education. Well, that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? It can do that, you know. Um, did did you give me? Did you, I think it was three. You've given me your three. Okay, I'll sort of (laughs) let you go. Um, So, Tim, I didn't know until today. There's another book. Your third book is on its way. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. Um, Well, it's it's a lyric book with stories um, related to the times that they were written or something about... Yeah, something about so it's not, it doesn't it might not be the song in itself it might be just a memory sort of evoked yeah. by, by the song yeah okay yeah um, but it's pretty much about what I can remember about the times mm. uh, um, really um, did you was it uh, how did it compare the process of doing it to your pre- the previous two books well um, I actually just looked at the lyrics for the first time really I mean you know I, I sing them and and or some of you know some of the better ones um, uh, and uh, and then kind of you know some of them have been forgotten but I wanted to go through and just look at them yeah. and, and see what I was see what like 22 year old Tim was thinking at the and time and sit and try and piece things together about like how how you know where, where I'm at now kind of thing really and were you able to did it generally work as uh, in that way did I think what's so. your, okay yeah Give me an example. Give me an example of a song that kind of like parachuted you into a situation that you might have forgotten about. Had were you not able to sort of use the lyric almost as a diary entry? Well, um, it's just. Uh, I, I mean, I, I suppose like the, you know the first the first two songs ever written were, were "Flower." Which was on some friendly and and um, another track called "Always in Mind" that didn't make it, but. It was kind of on a, it was a really good peel session that we did and and I just remember thinking that you know the importance of the peel session was that you would have something on that that wasn't included on the album hmm. so I worked out that we if people think that the only one I know was our best song you know which you know, arguably still is um uh, but the the only uh, the always in mind was actually up there with it, yeah. Um, right. And the fact that we, you know, didn't want to record it because 
we thought it was already had a, a great yeah, a great yeah. example of that work. Um, yeah, yeah it could, it's sort of like there's a parallel history of the charlatans which begins with that song in most people's perceptions rather than the only one I know. Is that, is that <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So in in a parallel universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, lyrics are hard to write, aren't they, Bob? I mean, I think it, I'm amazed that you know both the, in in this instance having both of you in the room you've been able to sort of turn out so many but you know to to write a lyric that isn't naff i think is like really really hard <laughs> you know do you know what i mean yeah well i mean i think lyrics are you know i think i would really struggle to see my lyrics written down and try and pick them apart or um, I think when when lyrics are sung, you know, if, if you know, obviously Tim's a great singer, Sarah's a great singer. I think um, a lot of a lot of things can be covered up by the fact it's a song rather than the lyric on a page. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I find it I always leave it to last. Really? I, mean, I might I might have a title, and then the lyric will come off the title, um, but almost always lyrics last thing. And and Pete and Sarah are much the same. To be honest, it's like the lyrics are mm. kind of what comes last. <laughs> At the very beginning, when you're first in a band and you have to show your lyrics to to your yeah. colleagues, is that quite awkward to start with? Yeah, I, th I think it is. Is it? I think it's kind of like uh, uh, it's good that it's like that though. Well, because it raises your game. Uh, it just makes me feel like the way I, I've I felt for thirty years. <laughs> it's like just that slight anxiety, but kind of like, but confident enough to put it forward. It's like a real strange yeah. place to live. Is that how you feel, Bob? Uh, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's, it's again, it's it's different because um, somebody else is going to sing them for me, so it's quite quite odd that I have to present them to someone to sing. Can you remember um. when you presented the lyrics to I Was Born on Christmas Day to Tim? <laughs> God. Um, yeah, I think I was probably literally writing them while we, while we were in the studio. I can't, I can't really remember presenting... Uh, I, can't, I can't really remember. You, you I, must remember I, I remember fragments of it. I mean, because we'd, we'd met a few times and I remember, you know, being on the, um, you know, on the tube a couple of times. And, but I can't I don't think that was the day that that we did the song. I think you might have met me at the bus stop. Right. <laughs> Took me in and Sarah had done her bits and was saying, I hope you don't mind singing this line. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, and I, I, I was just so wanted to do it that yeah. it was just, it was just, I didn't question any of it really. I remember sort of like lying down quite a lot because I had a hangover. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but but uh, yeah, there's not. I don't think there was a presentation. But I think Sarah was kind of trying to say, "I'm not sure what you think about this line." The other Tim and Sarah tied the knot. Kind of oh right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's fine. And you're sort of you you were you and obviously there was the video. You you were together when the video was shot. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, the video pretty. was amazing. Yeah. I remember. Um, Especially at the end. <laughs> yeah. What happened at the end. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the video, uh, Martin, our manager, crashes into something, doesn't he? And I can't think what. He's just saying that the the end wasn't ex uh, kind of explo explosive enough, and, it, and the whole idea was that everyone crashes into the 
Christmas tree and that's right. causes anarchy as, as, as opposed to it being like too too super sweet or something. Yeah. I've just thought how, how symbolic it is that Martin crashed the wedding because he, oh yeah yeah absolutely, he ended up yeah. marrying Sarah yeah yeah and wow, now so it's like yeah, his subconscious mind amazing there you go was it, in the, was it in the same place where the video was shot is that where they got married or imagining that I don't know I did go to Martin's wedding but. I can't remember much about oh, it. Oh, no, it was a party afterwards. You were definitely at the reception because I remember meeting you there. But, um, God, I can't remember. I can't remember. My memory's terrible. Right. At weddings, you tend to drink a lot, I suppose. That's yeah, yeah, I yeah. there you go. That's, That's true. I remember that Robin from Robin's Nest was at the uh, yeah, at the video shoot. Yeah. He was the father of the bride, wasn't That's he? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a moment in life, isn't it? Where you sort because of, I because I was there that day. I was reporting yeah, yeah, I remember, for, yeah. for Melody Maker, yeah. and um, and I just remember thinking I'd only been a music journalist for one year, and I was hanging out with Robin from Robin's Nest. Wow. <laughs> I just thought this this is not going to get any better for me. So when's the book out? Um. 22nd of November, I think. Okay. And you're slowly working on a book. You're, you're working on two at the same time, aren't you, Bob? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, me and uh, Tessa, my girlfriend, uh, we're doing a book on the fall, um, which will be basically uh, trying to do a book on the fall like as first hand as possible to be like artwork, handwritten lyrics. Um, the early press releases, which Marky Smith wrote, which are hilarious. Um, posters um and uh and a, and a collection of essays on subject matter like full related subject matter what by um, by other people by other people by yeah, yeah yeah um uh stuart lee's doing a one on comic timing oh wow um, scott king's doing one on local newspapers i'm not quite sure what where that's going to go but it's, it's quite nice to uh, let so, other people have a free free reign with that really and, and i'm, I'm going to write one on loosely about football and non-league football okay um so Stuart yeah. Lee's one, will it be about comic timing with specific reference to Marky e. Smith's delivery or do we... Um, no, I mean, no. The, I think the essays are going to be about the subject matter, which, but obviously the, the fall are yeah. going to come into the, yeah, of what anyone's writing, but uh, you know, we're not being too prescriptive. So um, it's, it's, it's writing about, yeah, writing about the architecture of East Lancashire, yeah. someone's doing um, as well. So, uh, um, we haven't got any of them back yet, so <laughs> I don't know. What to, we, everyone's got like sort of like a Christmas, a rough deadline of Christmas, so I think we're going to have to start nudging people. But right, okay. um, hopefully that'll be out this time next year. Amazing, um, Faber okay. doing it. Yeah. <coughs> and do you? Um, and then uh, there's a further down the line. There's possibly a book about the a, a sort of more formal follow-up to yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Mm. No, that's definitely that's definitely happening. Cause I spent. About six years on it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's still nowhere near finished. It's. Uh, I mean, it, 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 I've written every. It's about sixty odd chapters, and I've written something on all of them. Hmm. But um, hopefully, yeah, in six months to a year's time, that'll be finished, and it'll come out in twenty twenty one, I guess. So, which right. sounds like a long way off. It's only two years, and no, it doesn't seem like that long to me but you know that's that's amazing and uh when let tell me about let's talk about the, uh, so when um is tim peaks coming out uh so, yeah uh, <laughs> november november yeah yeah let's talk about the the cover image is amazing 
we need to talk about that a little bit as well. How did that come together? Well, you took the photograph, didn't you? Yeah, I um, I just yeah, we we sort of talked about what we thought the cover should look like. We thought if it if it's obviously reflective of Twin Peaks, hmm. um, uh, but it doesn't look like a pastiche. Um, but could also look like possibly like an early factory cover. <laughs> so uh, it was. Um, I just went around Todmorden and Hebden Bridge and around there and um, in West Yorkshire and just took photos. Uh, spent a day doing that and um, the cover is somewhere. Um, it's a place called Cornholm, which is um, it's a village, but it's got this massive mill in the middle of it and a railway bridge crossing the road and back-to-back -back houses, so it's, it's, it's tiny, and it's in this really steep valley. Uh, it's, it's very atmospheric and looks quite frightening, which is what you want for a yeah. <laughs> Twin Peaks cover, I think, really. And a mill and a bridge. And yeah, yeah. And now it only exists in the picture. Oh, the, 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 the shot on the back um, was a clog factory oh, right. um, in Mythamroyd near Hebden Bridge, and um, about a week after I took the photo, it accidentally burnt down. Uh, and they're just going to build a house and it's been levelled. <laughs> so, oh, wow. um, so I took a load of pictures around it because it was a, it's a massive um, mill and you could you could get around the, around the back of it. And uh, um, so I took quite a lot of pictures and yeah, now it's just just not there at all anymore. It's wow. the whole thing down. It must be like two hundred years old. It's pretty sad. It's such a lovely fit for what's the 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 the, the, the image sleeves are such a lovely. The sleeve images are such a lovely fit for what's on the record. Um, but I didn't actually know this, Tim. Bob mentioned to me earlier on that you recently interviewed David Lynch. I have interviewed him, yeah. How did that come about? Well, um, mostly through the work that I do for the David Lynch Foundation, hmm. um, which is which comes from um, the coffee that we sell at Tim Peaks. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, all the um, the profits go to to DLF, and you know, we've raised quite a lot of money over the last eight years. I think we've been doing it. So um, I get to I get to interview him now, <laughs> and uh, and occasionally get an award from him as well. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of quite quite nice, but obviously not the reason why I started to do it. So you're kind of your sort of friends. Can you call yourselves friends? Yeah, I've been yeah friends now. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. Yeah, because you know, I mean, I've um, you know, I think me and Bob probably talked about it like really early on. I mean, you know, it, uh, I was like 22 when I saw uh, Blue Velvet, and I think 23 when Twi uh, Twin Peaks actually came out, and so it's been a long. Been a long, I've been a fan for a long time. Yeah, no, you, well, you both have. Yeah, you call it your favourite. Is it really your favourite television program of all time? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm very obsessed with it. Yeah. I didn't know it was your. I didn't know it was your absolute. I it would be been. mine as well because it. I just remember um, seeing a few episodes while while we were touring in America, but then you know mi missing out on the on lots of it. I'm buying a video box set when I came back with the, the money that I'd made <laughs> and, uh, and uh, watching it around at my mum's house. So it's just like, you know, video in and uh, yeah, yeah. the theme tune. And my mum was like going, you know, just like, not this again. <laughs> just like, it's just like the like wonky kind of like tape. 
What <laughs> theme tune. So it's good. Mm. And uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's interesting that that kind of, there is that bit. Of, you know, certainly I think about the way, you know, like there are clips that my kids watch over and over again. But of course, because they're doing it on their computers or their phones, mm. they're doing it kind of private to them. So I don't really know if there's a thing that they've watched one time or if they've watched it 30 times. Yeah. So you don't get, but obviously, you know, when we were younger, you know, it would have been the 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 television with the with the, the one video recorder that was in the house. Yeah. So there was, a, people had to be a lot more tolerant of, uh, of sort of things like that. And you would get that scenario where, you know, your, your mum would be putting up with a, a single clip or it was a, a performance from Top of the Pops or something yeah. that you were watching for the 27th <laughs> time. And so conversations would happen as a result of that, wouldn't they? You know, so that would be a good example. I remember yeah. like my mum eventually having to form an opinion about Morrissey because <laughs> it, he was just on. Oh, he's on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah, the theme tune to um, Twin Peaks was pretty unpopular at, at, the, at, the, at the end. <laughs> was there anything that, that you recorded that sort of drove your parents mad as a result of the repetition of or were you slightly less obsessive maybe than um, I think I would have tended to watch stuff when they were out really um, no I used to I mean, I used to record anything anything any music that was on TV I used to record hmm. stuff and then like you know maybe wipe over it if I didn't like uh, no, um, no. whatever Tears for Fears on the Tube <laughs> thought that wasn't actually very good yeah um would, would that have been when they came back with their second album or yeah yeah because i was a big fan of the first album, I like the first album. Yeah. yeah and then second one not not so good um yeah and no, i don't i don't ever remember my mum and dad um complaining about something so <laughs> I was, I, yeah they'd wait until, wait until they were out yeah yeah i remember uh i was in my my mum's Greek, so you used to speak Greek in the house. And she would she would never refer to Morrissey by name. She would always call him the Flower Man. <laughs> wow, that's good. That's so because, good yeah. because like the video to this charming man made such a yeah. But it wasn't like a particularly good impression or a bad impression. It was just like you know, just that thing of like she had no frame of reference. It's just a really weird thing to do, you know. And uh, <laughs> so couldn't get beyond it, you know. But it made, you know, it stuck. It made an impression. It's um, amazing. Well, I'm not going to detain you too much longer, but other than to just say uh, thank you very much. It's a beautiful conversation. There were songs we did talk about. I should mention the clientele, which is just a lovely to see them mm -hmm. in such hallowed company. And especially in autumn, which is the clientele season, isn't it? I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it's um, pretty autumnal. Yeah. Jane Weaver. The wonderful Jane Weaver. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Gweno as well, which yeah. again, she's just a, a, a genius artist who yeah. are just are in such good company. Um, Bob, Tim, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Ace podcast. I've been Pete Fides. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. For more excellent music, you can scoot over to the Ace Records website, www.acerecords.co.uk, for all the wonderful music you could possibly need. <laughs>